Welcome to this not-so-common podcast. I am Pat Contry. I'm going solo this time out to talk about stuff like Comic-Con, O.J. Simpson, Doctor Who, John McCain, Schadenfreude, Schadenfreude, Freude, is that how you pronounce it, on social media, maybe a little bit of healthcare. How's everyone doing? Oh my god. Comic-Con was a blast. But first, before Comic-Con, I got a little sponsor thing going on here. I'm going to tell you about Dollar Shave Club. You know what? Everyone likes shaving. No one likes long hairs on their face and or other body parts. It can be unsightly. It can be uncomfortable. It can be rough when contact with other humans occurs, which is possible. But you know what? That's why they have shavers and shaving cream and things of that nature. Dollar Shave Club. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash pat and check out the deals there. You can get any razor on that page. You can try any razor for just $1. And that includes free shipping. So you can try stuff like the executive razor, which I have. And that comes with what? Like five extra blades in that sucker? Six blade cartridges it comes with. It's a stainless steel. It's a dollar. A dollar for the first month. You also got stuff like the, uh, you got the, the, the 4X, which has four blades on it, if you could tell by the name. And you got the Humble Twin, which is two blades. So again, go to dollarshaveclub.com slash pat. Check out the deals. You can cancel any time, and there's no obligation. Get a, get a quality shaver at a low price, price, price. Someone just shaved my tongue by accident. I mispronounced price. Get a quality shaver at a low price. DollarShaveClub.com slash Pat. So Comic-Con, huh? This was my 10th Comic-Con, and it took a little bit of math to realize that. I first went out to Comic-Con in 2008 because I was really excited to see Watchmen, uh, the Zack Snyder live-action film version. Big fan of Watchmen, the graphic novel. If you have not read Watchmen, Alan Moore is fantastic. A mind-blowing, groundbreaking graphic novel. Do yourself a favor. Go out there and go get it. Not before Watchmen. Not Watchmen after the squid. You know, <laughs> spoilers to anyone who hasn't read it. Go read the original Watchmen. I, I did read that they're going to try to like incorporate the Watchmen characters into the larger DC universe. So you're going to have Rorschach like with Batman. That's a horrible idea. That aside, that's why I went to Comic-Con in 2008. Comic-Con is a trip. San Diego Comic-Con. You're talking over, over 100,000 attendees every year. It's, it's probably like 150, something like that. It's a lot. Uh, you know, you have all the latest geek and nerd news that gets released there. Marvel, DC news, usually Star Wars. This year there was no Star Wars panel, surprisingly, but in the past they've had them. Celebrities there doing wacky stuff. Uh, Halle Berry, you know, chugging a thing of whiskey, you know, a glass of whiskey there. She was doing that for some upcoming film. Um, you know, and, and you can you can buy comics there, kind of, kind of. There's there's some vendors left selling comics. That's probably like literally Jesus, ten percent of the of the floor at Comic Con, maybe less, is selling comic books and trade paperbacks. Maybe a little bit more. Maybe I'm 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 underestimating that. I'll, I'll say twenty percent, but that's probably a teeny bit generous. There, we'll just say twenty percent to be safe. 
Well, there's always video game stuff there. That's grown a little bit. Um, a lot of toy stuff. Funko Pops taking over the world. Uh, you you have a lot of promotion of TV shows, naturally, and movies. It's almost become Comic Con should really be sort of pop culture con. That's really what the events become, because uh, a huge chunk of the panels have nothing to do with comics or even comic related movies or TV. It's just hey. You know, watch, uh, you know, do you like the show, I don't know, uh, Happily Ever After, or, or or whatever, one of those fairy tale shows, there's like five of them, Grimm Brothers or whatever, um, Grimm or Sleepy Hollow was one, they'll have panels for that stuff. The Psych panel was a big panel every year, and well, a couple years I try to get into it, for example. So, we're talking just any TV show that's popular, um, X-Files, anything like that, you'll, you'll, you'll see a panel for Anything tangentially related to comic books will have a panel. Uh, comics, yes, they'll have comic panels, but again, that's a small percentage. So, like I said, this is my tenth year of going to Comic Con, and I'm and don't get me wrong, I like Comic Con, but I'm, I'm sort of not over it, but just sort of I'm weary. I'm weary of Comic Con. The energy it takes to go there, and people are going to be yelling through their through their screens right now or through their iPods or iPhones or however they're listening to this, a, a dictaphone. No, that's just a recording device from the 70s. They're going to be yelling at me saying, Pat, you overprivileged asshole. I try to get tickets every year to go to Comic-Con. How dare you? You should be lucky you get to go. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I live like 15 minutes away. I, can, I get tickets every year. Sometimes I was lucky because I knew people that got free passes. Uh, other times I was lucky enough to pay for a pass other in the past few years, I've gotten professional passes because of my work online doing silly podcasts, silly, silly YouTube videos and silly certain NES guidebooks. Uh, and I did a panel last year. So I got like five free passes last year. I hooked up people. So that was great. Didn't get a, didn't get a panel by the way, this year, hopefully next year, but it's, it is an exhausting experience You're, besides the, the actual walking around with your 10 pound, backpack filled with the, all your snacks and goodies and water and whatever uh, graphic novels you happen to buy. Graphic novels, a fancy word for comic book that makes it, makes it sound more mature and less kiddy. You just have to, you have to deal with the sea of humanity. And that can just be draining. At least for me, just being around tons of people constantly, um, it just wears on you. Uh, then, you know, you get on the trolley, going back and forth, you know, three or four times in four days, or this year I, I, I took the lift and or uber i got that done which was that's that was actually the way to go that was that was actually a lot better even though it's, it's a little bit pricier but i'm just sort of over the experience because at this point i'm not sure what else i could get out of comic-con i am not attempting to go to panels anymore it went from like one or two panels a day i'd say from 2008 to 2011 uh, I've gone into Hall H like three times, but that's become more and more of, of of a hassle. It used to be like maybe you have to get there like eight in the morning to get into a twelve o'clock panel. Now you got to get there at least you know like twenty four hours before or the night before. Now I've heard though, fortunately, they're nice enough to give you like a wristband so you don't have to actually camp out overnight. So they'll give you a wristband saying, "Oh, you're going to get into you're going to get into Hall H." But now there's like counterfeit wristbands because people are assholes and who needs honesty or any sort of ethics in this day and age or morals, you know, you know, screw everyone else. That's, you know, how, how a chunk of humanity sees it, right? 
yeah, who cares? I got mine. Fuck you. And so it's unfortunate that would happen even at a place like Comic Con, but it does happen. You know, there used to be counterfeit, even people making, buying, and selling counterfeit passes. At this point, though, that's it's impossible because now the passes are all RFID chips. They're all one of a kind. It would cost way too much money to try to counterfeit these Comic-Con passes. I don't think it would be worth someone's time to do that and get away with it. Anywho, but, I mean, how many years can you go to Comic-Con and see the same booths? You see the same, uh, literally the same vendors year after year. The same non-sports card vendor, which is which is great. Get to check out, like, oh, wow, they have vanilla ice cards? Wow, what did Tops put out? They put out four series of ALF cards? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, you see the cosplayers. Interestingly enough, though, this year there were far less cosplayers. And it's hard to quantify the amount. Maybe they just they weren't letting them onto the floor. It used to be like they'd let people walk on the floor of Comic-Con and the vendor hall with like stilts and helpers. And I think they've gotten, they've sort of clamped down on that. They want people not to be trampled upon or killed uh, at Comic-Con, which is a good idea. But it just seemed like there was less cosplay overall. Definitely there's not any booth babes anymore. That's pretty much gone. And you can out there, you make your own case whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. All I know is that's a fact, that in the past six, seven years, you've gone from booth babes that were obviously hired, uh, not necessarily for the personality, uh, but for their looks and or large bosoms. Now you can't really find that anymore uh, at the convention. Um, you still have some celebrities that do autograph signings. N- Nichelle uh, Nichols, uh, who played Uhura in the original Star Trek. She was at a booth. Um, my girlfriend didn't get a chance to see her uh, this time out, but she did see her up in the autograph session one or two years ago. Uh, I got her, uh, I had her get an autograph. I said, you have to do it. She's not going to be around that much longer. Um, she's If she's like an idol of yours or someone you look up to, you should talk to her. And she did, and it was great. And she got a video I got a video of her conversation, got pictures, and she was fantastic. I've only gotten autographs, as an aside, from like three people at Comic-Con, I think. Um, Adrian Paul, who was uh, Duncan McLeod in Highlander, the series, the excellent syndicated show that was on from like 91 to 97, 98. Um, And then I got Sir George Lazenby. The second and most forgotten of the James Bonds. And I remember when I spoke to Mr. Lazenby, uh, I, told him he sh- I told him he shouldn't have quit after one one film. And I, I was serious about that. I said, you should have stayed on. I said, Sean Connery just sort of, you know, he, uh, he, he sort of slept walk through Diamonds Are Forever, one of the worst Bond films, the worst Sean Connery film by far in terms of the Bond films. Uh, and I said, yeah, just he, it was just a cash firm. And, and Lazenby sort of, Mr. Lazenby just sort of like smiled and laughed. And he knew it. He knew that <laughs> Connery, he should have did more than one. He wasn't that bad in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Check it out if you haven't got a chance. See that off-forgotten James Bond film. But I got those autographs. Not a huge autograph person overall, though. Uh, I've never run into a celebrity at Comic-Con on the floor itself. Frank has. Frank tells me all the stories. And I unfor- unfortunately, I've never caught it where Frank ran into... He's literally bumped into Seth Green, almost ran the, ran the poor guy over before catching him. He's literally ran into Quentin Tarantino just buying comics 
and said, hey, hey, Quentin Tarantino, what are you doing? And Mr. Tarantino just said, hey, I'm just buying comics. And then Kevin Bacon, seeing him signing autographs, I think that was probably four or five years ago when he had that show about that serial killer cult, and he, and he told me that he said to Kevin Bacon, hey, Kevin Bacon, diner, best movie ever. And Kevin Bacon just waved and said thank you while he was signing autographs. And then my favorite story, and the one that, I would have paid $1,000 to get on film is him running into the lovely Rosario Dawson, who shares my birthday, by the way, which means we are destined to be together forever. No, no, that's not true. Only in my mind. Um, he said that Miss Dawson was at her table, I guess, on the vendor floor. And this was probably, I think he said it was about seven or eight or nine years ago. So she's not, Rosario Dawson wasn't as well known as she is now, but still, she wasn't an unknown. Uh, but this just goes to show you how Comic-Cons change. And yeah, and it's not like it was empty in 2008 or 2007. But even since then, in the past 10 years, there, there's no way a celebrity could be at a regular table unguarded. You just don't see it anymore. You don't even see, like, there used to be, like, uh, uh, Playboy bunnies just at, you know, I'm, I'm talking Playboy bunnies from, like, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, not even recent ones. They just be at tables on the, on the exhibit hall. That doesn't even happen anymore. I think they, they realize that could be trouble overall. But... Um, Rosario Dawson was just hanging out. Frank said that no one was talking to her. Uh, and so he started talking to her. He, he was chatting her up in, in Frank's charming way. Of course, this is all uh, his word to me. I, but Frank has no reason to lie about this. I don't think Frank would lie about this. But he commented her on a lot of movies. And he said like the 25th hour is one he really liked her. And, and of course, she was impressed by that. But she, she was like, oh, really? And, and he commented that she, she was glad that he picked out a movie that wasn't just one of her where she took off her clothes. It was actually one where she actually got to act. And of course, Frank told me that's why he brought up that movie, just so she would remember, would remember that. So it sounded like a funny interaction, and I wish I was uh, around for that. Uh, besides that, um, we both spoke to the guy from uh, what the hell was that? UFO? Uh, no, no. What the fuck are they? The Ancient Alien Show. Giorgio Sukulis. That wasn't the best experience uh, he seemed like he didn't want to be bothered by me and Frank, which I thought was funny because it sounded like people were beating down the door to talk to uh, to talk to the guy uh, from Ancient Aliens. That show's still on? Holy shit. Have they, have they not run out of ideas yet? I stopped watching that show about three, four years ago. Holy crap. It's been on for seven years. Anyway. So at Comic-Con, I guess, like I said, I'm spoiled. You're probably saying, screw you, Pat. You don't appreciate it. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate the event. I love that I got a panel there. It's a, and overall, it's a great event. There's a lot of cool stuff. And by the way, even if you're if you if you don't attend the actual event itself, there's tons of free stuff all around downtown San Diego at Petco Park right there, which is like three blocks away. That's where the Padres play. Uh, there's always stuff there to see. There's stuff at the um, in between the convention center and the was it the Hilton Bayfront. A marina is that the one? There's stuff like FX in the past had a bunch of free stuff to check out. Um, you had like Cartoon Network stuff there. Um, the the gallery right down the street is usually rented. Conan O'Brien usually has his show uh, films there for like three four days during Comic Con. They had the gallery this year was showing off uh, stuff for the new Star Trek Discovery show. And yeah, I had to wait like a half hour to get in, but um, uh, it was it was it was worth it. It was fun. So it's a cool event. I'm just sort of in the mind state now. Where um, if I missed it, I don't think I would fall apart 
just because the vast majority of stuff, all the panels go online like within 24 hours. All the panels go on live on, online, so you don't have anything to worry about with that. All the major panels, anyway. Most of the stuff is no longer exclusive. Like so, like the Justice League showed a four-minute ex- extended clip, clip that came out that that uh, like that night or immediately. The new Thor uh, trailer came out immediately. I guess that'll be the final trailer before the movie comes out. The only only thing that didn't come out was that uh, I think the only thing that didn't come out was the uh, Avengers Infinity War teaser, the one they showed at the Disney D twenty three event, which sounds like the twenty third of the Mighty Ducks series. But no, that's just the now it's like the the Disney Con they do every year where they show off all the Marvel and and Muppet and whatever else uh, Star Wars stuff since Disney owns the universe now. But um, so that's Comic Con. I'll go back next year. I'm not whining or complaining. I'm just saying my energy is at an all-time low with it. And, you know, it did seem a little muted this year. That's all I'm saying. I didn't, this year, I actually didn't buy any comics for the first time. I didn't buy any real comic books, nor the trade paperbacks, the collected comics. Like the ones that you actually actually want to read, you you buy, you know, like a Spider-Man year two, and you can get like all 12, you know, 12 of those. And, and do that reading. Last year I bought about four or five of those. I still have to go through some of them. But this year I didn't buy any. The only thing I bought, browsing, you know, there's about three or four toy aisles there. I bought one of those Legend of Zelda, you know, trophies. You know, they had, they had those Nintendo trophies from the late 80s. They had uh, Punch-Out ones, Zelda, and, and Mario Brothers. I bought one in the box for like 40 bucks. Seemed like a decent deal. I had to worry about not having, get, having it get destroyed uh, while the Sea of Humanity was, was crushing against me. Uh, there, with me being the rocky shores, minus minus any rocky abs that exist. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like chocolate too much. Anyway, so that's Comic Con, uh, and this leads me leads me into a Twitter question at Drew Bea eighty two. He just says striking a true balance between nerdy interests, gaming, etc., and adult doldrums. Hashtag not so common. All right. So I'm guessing, by the way, if you want to hashtag it not so common, I'll see some of your suggestions. Or if you know, if you want to shoot me an email, it's not so common at thepunkeffect.com. And that'll get to me somehow. So striking a true balance between nerdy interests, gaming, etc., and adult doldrums. Well, that that's sort of a loaded question just because it makes it seem like there's a straight dichotomy between either you like nerdy stuff or adult life sucks. So I you're basically you, you either like Star Trek stuff and adhere to that, or then when you're not watching Star Trek, it's all mortgages and diapers and bullshit. I don't think that's life, really. I think you can strike a balance either way. And yes, we all work jobs. We all have we all have to pay the bills. We all gotta eat. That doesn't mean you can't have fun in the meantime. It doesn't mean, like, you know, you can make uh, activities fun with your loved one if you happen to have a loved one. Or multiple ones. I'm not discriminating against the polygamy. Or maybe I should. (laughs) Is is polygamy legal anywhere? I think it's illegal in Utah, too. But, (laughs) oh, man, all the polygamists are going to get angry with me. Uh but the balance, I think, is just to make sure that you have sort of that clear delineation between, all right, fun time and serious, quote-unquote, mature time. So so that's not to say you can't own a, a room of 
of Star Trek memorabilia. That's not to say you can't enjoy cosplaying. You can't, you know, if you have like a closet full of uh, 1970s G.I. Joe dolls, or excuse me, action figures, or you happen to own, I don't know, just off the top of my head, someone that owns, uh, you know, at least one full room of video games and a garage full of extras and, and boxed stuff and, you know, uh, maybe six figures worth of video games that are just collecting dust. That's, you can all do that. You can have nerdy interests. I just, it's always about that balance, though. That's what it all comes down to. Make sure that you don't you don't just ignore your quote unquote real responsibilities. I mean, I, I've liked nerdy stuff my my whole life, quote unquote geeky stuff. I'm not sure when it became cool to like comic books. All I know is I liked it before it was cool. I liked it when you were still get made get made fun of to read comic books. I, I guess in the last 10 years, with, with events like Comic-Con and with social media and with the internet, you it became more acceptable not to, I guess, nerd shame? Is that is that a thing? Geek shame, nerd shame? You know, we have expressions like slut shame. I guess we should have geek shame. Is that something that happens? No, it's cool to be it's cool to be into geek stuff. Most of the, the top shows on TV are stuff like Walking Dead nowadays, where, you know, I can't imagine even 12, 13, 14 years ago the most popular TV show being about freaking zombies. Zombies used to be considered nerdy bullshit. It's not like Night of the Living Dead series was popular. It's always a cult thing. And now, you know, after Shaun of the Dead and you have Walking Dead, now it's the most popular thing in the world. So who, who, who the hell knows, right? What was I talking about? So the balance, I think, is just that. Just making sure that it, it, it becomes an interest or stays an interest. It doesn't become your whole life. Not to say that it can't become your whole life. But for most people, it wouldn't be healthy. And and I'm just going out on a limb and just saying that. That in terms of social interaction, you're better off having at least at least a couple of different interests. Two or three. At least. Just just do me a favor and try it. I know if your life is dedicated out there solely to one thing that happens to be geeky, uh just just do me a favor. Just do me a, just try something else. Not saying you gotta fall in love with it. But just try it, and you might be like, "Hey, I like, I like, I like that dirty thing I didn't like before." And that could be sports, because all of a sudden I see online that you know I see geeks. I see it's, it's reverse. It used to be that like sports and jocks back in the day would the, the cliche would be they would make fun of people that like comic books or D and D stuff. Now I see people online uh, having their druthers and making fun of sports, calling stuff like sports ball, and it's like, come on, man. When I grew up, at least, I mean, you know, I've talked about this before on the CU podcast, is that most of my friends that, my friends back in the day, uh, even the geeky, if you like geeky stuff, like my friends that like comic books or liked um, Nintendo games or anything else of that nature, we also liked sports. We kind of found time to play street hockey, street tennis, as I like to call it, wiffle ball, baseball, basketball. We did manage to strike a balance, and I, I, and I don't have a kid that I know of to to say whether or not that's going on to the same extent today. But it, it felt at least back in my day, there was more of a quote-unquote time and a place for everything. Maybe that's because like uh, my parents forced my ass out the door, my chubby pat ass out the door, you know, to play ice hockey. Or maybe, maybe because since there wasn't the internet the same way there is now, that's how we had our interaction socially. It was by riding your bike over to see your friend. Um, to actually, if you were going to play a video game, it'd be you know sitting next to them on a on an old 
TV in the basement or to play basketball for an hour or, or to play street hockey in November and you have a hard fucking orange ball s- shatter your ankle when a slap shot hits it. That's just what the reality was. And then, of course, you did play video games well. You just did everything. And we didn't think about it. We didn't think about, at the time, this was geeky or, oh, sports is for losers or, or comics is for losers. We just sort of did everything. We just, we, we, I don't think, I don't know. There wasn't that division, at least in my circle of friends or in my school. There wasn't, like, this one group was only into comics. This one group was only into sports. Yeah, you had those kids that maybe gravitated more towards sports a little bit. But even like my friend, uh, my friend Joey, who was like one of those kids that like no matter the sport, basketball, uh, street hockey, baseball, playing football, like he went touch football. He was like the best at every sport. He still had a Nintendo. He had a Super Nintendo. We still did that. We did everything. We just had that balance. Not sure. Looking back, how how the hell was I not in shape? Even then, I played sports. I don't know. I was just a chubby pet eating. Brownies and too much spaghetti, I guess, as a kid. Either way, I don't know if I answered your question, uh, Drew Baya eighty two, uh, but I just just try to try other stuff out, see if you like it. You, you know, the, the the brilliant thing is that with stuff like Netflix, you know, and DVRing, you can always have you can always find that spare time to do your interest in on odd hours on the weekend. You don't have to like rush home to watch the latest episode. Of, of Doctor Who, you know, it's it's not like we have to compartmentalize all our our all our uh, interests the way we used to back in the day. I, I think we have more freedom to try other things. And you know what? With Groupon, I should get Groupon as a sponsor. Maybe with Groupon, you you find out there's something you never did before, like wine tasting, or I don't know, skydiving. Uh, if I ever do it, it only be through Groupon because if, if I'm gonna die, it'll be at half price or less with Groupon. All right, uh, I'm going to go over some Twitter stuff that happened. Social media, by and large, is is, uh, is toxic as all fuck. We know that. And I'm not pretending that it doesn't have its merits. It absolutely has. Twitter is great for breaking news. It's great to see what's, what's in the zeitgeist at the moment. But at the end of the day, social media is mostly inconsequential. I'd say 80 to 90% ins- inconsequential. But you still see reactions to big news uh, that happen. I'm going to go over three pieces of, of, of news. But I want to not just focus on the actual news itself. I want to focus on uh, the word that I butchered at the top of the hour here. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. How do I pronounce this again? Tell me, uh, Google. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. I'm part German. I should know how to pronounce that. And Schadenfreude is a noun. Pleasure derived by someone... From another person's misfortune. So, if you're on the street, you see someone trip and fall, and you laugh at them, uh, at their at their pain. That's Schadenfreude. If you see a little child drop their ice cream cone in the sand and cry, and you're a sociopath and laugh at them, uh, that's Schadenfreude. There's no other real word to describe it. Sometimes you have these words that you have to just use the 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 you know the direct word. There's no word in the English language. That's schadenfreude. That's just the word. But schadenfreude can be seen in social media. And that's largely what social media has become. Because when announcements get made about either something good or bad, you'll immediately get people that will look past the news itself and just shit on 
the people that are saddened or outraged or happy by the news. You'll you, you'll see the you'll, you won't just see the opposite sentiment to news. You'll still see people have shot in Freuda over the people that hate the news that was just released or that had a negative reaction or positive. There, there are people that out there are just not even trolling. This isn't even trolling. This is people just saying, ha ha, look at the news that you dislike. That's schadenfreude. And that's what social media has become, which to me is kind of a useless sort of a notion. If you use your, your, if you use your time to go on social media to troll people for your schadenfreude, please look in the mirror and realize that you're wasting your time. You have better things to do. You can be happy about news. You can be sad about news. I don't have a problem with that personally. But if you're if you're going to be happy that other people are unhappy, that's fucking weird. It just is. I'm sorry. To me, that's weird. What and and that's almost to me regardless of what the news is. So I'll give you a few examples. A few examples. Let's start with the. The unfortunate news about John McCain, Senator John McCain from Arizona, ran for president in 2000, was screwed over in the Republican primaries. Um, he would have made a fine president in 2000. Uh, he went against W. Bush, then lost in the primaries. He was the maverick, a little older, maybe not so wiser. 2008, he runs against Barack Obama. He loses. Almost any Republican was going to lose after uh, W's approval rating plummeting to the 20s and the fact that that summer we went into an awful depression uh, because of the housing market and then and, and, and then rubber stamping awful mortgages in the housing market for the prior, I don't know, 10 years before that, um, 12 years, going back to the Clinton era. Whole other conversation we won't get into and why it's so hard for someone like Pat to get a mortgage now. And I can pay off the mortgage, I think. I think. I think I can. Anyway, so unfortunate news. He had had brain surgery. Uh, John McCain, he had a tumor. And it's like, for the most part, and this isn't going to get super political about Republicans versus Democrats, but for the most part, of uh, John McCain has been a very well-respected member of the Senate on both sides of the aisle. He's been in the Congress um, and Senate for like, I don't know, since what, the early 80s? He served uh, in the military for a long time in the Navy. He was a fighter pilot. Let's see, he served in the, in the Navy from 58 to 81. 23 years. Um, his father was an admiral. Oh, and oh, by the way, he was a POW for five fucking years. Five years, all right? Let's just, I'm going to go on good old Wikipedia, and I'll just, I'll just talk about this. So, all right, this is, this is McCain. Prisoner of war. McCain's capture and subsequent imprisonment began on October 26, 1967. He was flying his 23rd bombing mission over Hanoi, North Vietnam, when his A-4E Skyhawk was shot down by a missile. McCain fractured both arms and a leg when he ejected from the aircraft and nearly drowned after he parachuted into Trukbok Lake. Some North Vietnamese pulled him ashore, then others crushed his shoulder with a rifle butt and bayoneted him. That's a nice how-do-you-do. McCain was then transported to Hanoi's main Hoa Loa prison, nicknamed the Hanoi Hilton. You probably heard that name before. 
Uh, although McCain was seriously wounded and injured, his captors refused to treat him. They beat and interrogated him to get information, and he was given medical care only when the North Vietnamese discovered that his father was a high-ranking admiral. His status as a, pr- a prisoner of war made the front pages of major newspapers. McCain spent six weeks in the hospital where he received marginal care. He lost 50 pounds. He was in a chest cast, and his gray hair turned as white as snow. McCain was sent to a different camp on the outskirts of Hanoi. In December '67, McCain was placed in a cell with two other Americans who did not expect him to live more than a week. In March '68, McCain was placed into solitary confinement where he would remain for two years. Solitary confinement for two years! Okay? While he's fucked up. In mid-68, McCain Sr., excuse me, John McCain Jr. was named commander of all U.S. forces in the Vietnam theater. So that was the admiral, okay? And the North Vietnamese offered McCain early release because they wanted to appear merciful for propaganda purposes and also to show other POWs that elite prisoners were being, were willing to be treated preferentially trying to create a schism between the different POWs. Very sneaky, North Vietnamese. Very sneaky. I see what you're doing there. McCain refused repatriation unless every man taken in before him was also released. Such early release was prohibited by the POW's interpretation of the military code of conduct. To prevent the enemy from using prisoners for propaganda, officers were to agree to be released in the order which they were captured. All right, let's repeat that. So, you got a POW who had the shit kicked out of him, broken leg, broken arms, bayoneted, solitary confinement for two goddamn years, and your dad is the commander-in-chief of the entire Vietnam theater of war. So, so, the guy in charge of everything. And that could have led you to getting out. Like, okay... My dad's running this. You can let me go. I want to die. I feel like I'm dying. Please let me go. So John McCain, while he was getting the shit kicked out of him, refused. He said, no, that's not fair to the rest. It's not fair. So, okay. Moving on from that. And probably because of that, beginning in August 68, McCain was subjected to a program of severe torture. He was bound and beaten every two hours. Two hours! That sounds fun. Two hours! Holy shit! The punishment occurred at the same time that he was suffering from dysentery. Oh, great. It's not just for, you know, education of video games. You can also, it can also happen in real life. Further injuries led McCain to attempt suicide, which was stopped by guards. Eventually, McCain made an anti-American propaganda confession, in quotes. He has always felt his, his statement was dishonorable, but as he later wrote, I learned what we all learned over there. Every man has his breaking point. I reach mine. If I had this shit kicked out of me uh, every two hours, holy shit, um, uh, Senator McCain, don't feel bad that you, they taped a quote-unquote confession. Don't worry about it. I don't think anyone, anyone but assholes on Twitter, which I'll get to, are going to get on you for that. Um... Many American POWs were tortured and maltreated in order to extract confessions and propaganda statements. Virtually all of them eventually yielded something to their captors. McCain received two to three beatings weekly because of his co- continued refusal to sign additional statements. So he, so after the first uh, 
confession that they beat out of him finally he said okay i'm tired of getting beat please stop beating me i'll say something that you put in front of me after that he didn't want to do it anymore and they beat the shit out of him uh mccain refused to meet in various anti-war groups seeking peace in hanoi wanting to give neither them nor the north vietnamese a propaganda victory like uh like jane fonda uh famously did i said oh the north vietnamese aren't so bad yeah, I'll, like I'll I'll go on one of their tanks while while our POWs are getting beaten to hell within half a mile of me. Anyway, uh, from late 1969, treatment of McCain and many of the other POWs became more tolerable, while McCain continued actively to resist the camp authorities. McCain and other prisoners cheered the U.S. Christmas bombing campaign of December 1972, viewing it as a forceful measure to push Vietnam to terms. McCain was a prisoner of war in North Vietnam for five and a half years. Five and a half years. He was released on March 14, 1973. His wartime injuries left him permanently incapable of raising his arms above his head. Okay. This isn't to glorify the senator. He wouldn't want me to glorify him in, in, in his own mind. He was just doing his duty, even though, you know, he's a fucking war hero. And I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. How much more can you ask for than that? I don't know. Here's the point, though. So this guy, he gets the shit kicked out of him for five and a half years, has a chance to go home early and doesn't, serves honorably. Then he serves in in the Senate. He serves in Congress forever. He runs for president. And let me tell you something. When he ran for president, he was very gracious. He didn't do any underhanded tactics. And, of course, he was still attacked for being too old, even though, you know, if he was elected in 2008, he would have done fine. Until, you know, the year 2016, he would have been fine. Uh, So there was some ageism going on there. At the time, we won't get into that. But with this news about, you know, him having the brain tumor and it was operating unsuccessfully, but it may mean more trouble down the road. You have people celebrating his death or his eventual death. Disgusting, of course, but a great example of the schadenfreude. Also a great example of my lack of faith in humanity that anyone would be celebrating someone getting a, a brain a bad brain tumor at the age of uh, at the age of what eighty, but you're always going to have people like that whether they're really mean it deep down whether or not they're just asshole trolls and they're just doing because they feel cool at the time or feel empowered you're always going to have people out there that will try to elicit a reaction or try to revel in other people's bad feelings or misery. And that leads me to something not as serious as someone getting a brain tumor, but still along the same theme. Uh, the Doctor Who announcement of Jodie Whittaker. She's the 13th Doctor. Peter Capaldi was the 12th. Peter Capaldi did a fine job from what I saw. Great actor. He was fantastic on the, uh, I thought, the very underrated, uh, what was that series? Musketeer series on BBC. I don't think I ever saw the third season of that. I think I didn't see that. And speaking of ages, and Peter Capaldi was... People were like, oh, this guy's too old when he replaced, uh, what was it, Matt Smith, uh, who was the 11th Doctor. Um, people were getting on him. I was like, that's kind of weird. You know, mostly probably fangirls that loved uh, David Tennant, Matt Smith. You know, the younger, cuter Doctors, and they didn't like Peter Capaldi. Handsome man, by the way. I'll say that. But, the, you know, the guy's like 60 years old. And he did a fine job for what I saw. I'm, uh, now, keep in mind, I'm not, I'm not a big Doctor Who fan. I watch it because I think that the the idea is more interesting than often the stories. And sci-fi is pretty cool. I like sci-fi. 
Uh, my girlfriend likes sci-fi. I think she's into Doctor Who a little bit more than me. And whenever I tried to watch it, I just thought the stories were a little too simplistic and not not really. They didn't really grab me. So I started trying to try to watch it when Peter Capaldi came on board. And I had watched the transition episode. And that was actually sad. When the one Doctor regenerates into a new Doctor, I, I teared up. I thought that was pretty well done. With uh, I thought Matt Smith seemed like a pretty good guy, pretty good doctor. From what I saw, then it becomes Peter Capaldi. Pete will go nuts. He had a three-year run, and his last episode is going to come, the Christmas special. And they're going to have uh, Jodie Whittaker, who is, is supposedly a great actress. I have I've never seen her before in anything, uh, you know. But we'll, we'll give her a shot, right? Why not? Why not a a female Doctor Who? You know, I whatever. It's an alien thing. I, I'm, I'm open to it. But I do understand the people that are, that are not used to it. They're like, well, it's been a man for, whatever, 50 years. I'm not used to it. I understand that. I don't necessarily agree with that point. Let's, okay, let's be honest here, though. I think if the ratings were still great, I'm not sure they would have went with this sort of, quote-unquote, risky jump to create news and buzz by casting the first ever woman doctor. But the last season, I think, I think the, the ratings on Capaldi, don't say Doctor Who ratings, I think they, like, halved. The past year. Like, they've gone down badly. Yeah, there we go. Are we bored of Doctor Who? BBC Sci-Fi loses nearly a million viewers. This was a May 1st, 2017 article. Let's see. It's been reported that around 3.8 million tuned in for Saturday night's installment, Thin Ice, which starred Peter Capaldi as a doctor. By the way, I've watched the some of the episodes this season, and I haven't from in a couple of years. They were pretty good. I, I really like Peter Capaldi's sort of take on the Doctor. And I'm not again, I'm not a big Doctor Who guy, but I, I liked what he was trying to do with the character from what I saw, from my, my puny little mind, from what what I saw. But yeah, so the series is losing viewers. So this is this does two things. You announce a, a female Doctor, big buzz, shakes things up. You might capture a new audience. Of course, you might risk pissing off people, but whatever. Uh, I think overall you're going to gain new people. So I think that's part of the reason why they did it. Besides, they thought it was time. To, but the show's always been progressive. They, they've always had, they've always had, uh, you know, strong female characters or complex female characters. In maybe not in the Doctors before, but you always had the uh, companions going back to the, you know, the '60s when the show premiered. So let's see what happens with it. I'll, I'll say this though. I'll say this. This is the chance though. If this is going to work. And everyone who's online saying, oh, this is a great move. This is awesome. I'm going to tune in. You better tune in. If you don't tune in, <laughs> Jodie Whittaker might have a have a short stay. Might have a short run if those if those uh, ratings don't rebound. That's always sort of the, the crux of these situations. You can try something new. You can take those risks. You can try to recast. You can try to reboot. But if it doesn't work out, you might not see another recast or reboot or, or quote-unquote risky uh, casting for a long, long time. I don't think you're going to see another uh, Ghostbusters movie with an all-female cast ever again. I don't think we're going to see that. That that uh, the people didn't turn out for that. It didn't didn't turn a profit. Uh, you won't see that. You're going to probably see another reboot in five to ten years uh, there. So if you support it, that's that's great. Support it, but then really support it and watch the show. Otherwise, going on social media and saying, oh, this is awesome, this is awesome, won't mean a damn thing if people don't tune in to, to watch the show. It just won't. That said, though, I, I'm fully on board with people saying, oh, this is cool news, I like the news. Good. That's awesome. 
I understand the people that some people are disappointed, and let's not let's not jump to, to full conclusion and say that everyone is disappointed with a female doctor. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a misogynist or you're sexist. Maybe you're just not comfortable with it. Maybe it's not something you're ready for for a variety of reasons. Maybe you're just used to the doctor being a father figure for whatever reason. The past fifty years, you're used to that. Because uh, from what I'm seeing, from what I'm glancing at, maybe not on Twitter and social media, but it seems like there are some Doctor Who forums and fandom parts that aren't totally happy with this news. That they're they're upset about about this because for the things I said, maybe they're just not used to it. They're used to it always being a man, father figure, et cetera, et cetera. And not everyone's a misogynist if they, if they don't agree with this. The same way you weren't necessarily a misogynist because you didn't want to see a rebooted shitty version of Ghostbusters with four four uh, women. Doesn't make you a misogynist. You might be a misogynist. Doesn't make you one just because of that opinion. But what was interesting in all this was the schadenfreude of the people that were saying, yay, this is great news. Look at all the man babies whine and complain about this. And of course, like with people, the same thing with people, the idiots that are rejoicing over someone like John McCain getting a tumor just because he happens to be a Republican and not a Democrat. You're going to have people that are going to be irrational and say shit they shouldn't or hateful things about this news for over a fictional TV show uh, casting. The point is, is that in both cases, I think if you are reveling in someone else's misfortune, I just still think your energy is sort of being displaced properly. You have the right to complain about it. I just think positive energy will win people over to your side more than ha ha ha. Look at these babies crying about this. I I don't know. That's just sort of, to me, a a waste of emotion. Like, for example, best example, sports. I don't like LeBron James. Don't like LeBron James. So when the Warriors beat the Cavs in the finals, I know this is sports ball talk, when the Warriors crushed the Cavs in the finals, I was happy about that. was ecstatic. But I was not happy for the bad feelings and crying of the Cleveland fans. I was happy that the Warriors won, but I was not reveling in the pain of the fans of a sports team. And I think that's the difference. To me, that'd be a waste of time. I'd, be, I'd rather be, yay, yay, Steph Curry, yay, Kevin Durant. He finally, you, you, you finally won a championship. Yay, go, sports team, go. This is a beautiful moment. You guys are happy. Not, ha, ha, fuck you fans of Cleveland. You're all fucking losers. How dare you? And, and of course, it's not always a parallel comparison between either sports, because that's, you know, sports is a meritocracy, and that's competition versus uh, casting of a TV show and and maybe the underlying sort of uh, progressive issues you're looking at there. But what I'm saying is the amount of energy that I, th- I think, in my opinion, you should be putting towards those endeavors, it should be more on the positive side. Be happy your, your sports team won or the team you're rooting for. Be happy that if you, if, you're, if, you, if you think it's great that for the first time in like 50 plus years you have a, uh, a female doctor, that's great. I just think that, you know, you're not going to – I don't know. I, the whole the, the whole schadenfreude just to me seems like a large, large waste of time. And you're not going to win anyone over. You're just sort of spiking the ball to, to use another, another sports ball term there. But I'll check out that Christmas Doctor Who special. And I'll be crying my freaking eyes out when Peter Capaldi goes and you get a new doctor in there just because it's always sad. And, you know, what's interesting about Doctor Who, that to me is probably the only interesting thing about it versus other shows, is that unlike a show like Highlander, 
they die and they're gone forever. If the actor gets, if the actor gets too old or wants to leave, hey, if they have someone cut his head off and he's dead. Here you see the actor sort of slowly uh, go away and they know they're leaving. It's almost like putting down a pet versus it getting hit by a car. You get you get a hit. You, you get, your pet gets hit by a car. Yes, it's tragic, but it's over with and it's sort of like well, didn't know it was coming. Uh, didn't have to deal with the the you know, premeditation of it. And so while it is harsh, I think that's a lot different than knowing that your pet's going to die and seeing its life ebb away and then you know putting it as misery. That is like heartbreaking shit. And that's probably the closest sort of comparison I can have to a TV show is, is uh, most shows, the death of a character is like your dog getting hit by a car. Doctor Who, it's like seeing your blind... Uh, limping dog slowly die week by week, month by month, and then having to put it out of its misery. That's a scenario that's just fucking awful. And I guess compared to a TV show where it's fictional characters, that's probably the hardest, you know, scenario to see your your beloved actor go. Finally, Schadenfreude about Orenthal James Simpson. Is that his name? Orenthal James Simpson. Orenthal. O.J. Simpson. So O.J. Simpson, Orenthal is it? Yeah, Orenthal James Simpson, seventy years old. You might have known him from the Naked Gun series. If you're a little bit older, you remembered him on the what is he? The Buffalo Bills, Hall of Fame running back, nicknamed the Juice. Um, broadcaster. He used to sell those Aqua fucking Velva gloves and shit. Things like that. And then, oh yeah, the trial of the century, uh, because he was accused of murdering Nicole Brown Simpson and friend Ron Goldman viciously. Um, so he was he was uh, convicted of kidnapping and armed robbery in 2007, and he was just paroled. Oh, he well, he's going to be uh, released officially October 1st. He was sentenced to like 33 years overall. He's going to be out after 10. And there was some schadenfreude over that, which is interesting because the schadenfreude was for, it was for people like that were pissed that OJ was getting let out of jail at all over this armed robbery slash kidnapping charge. And people were like, aha, look at all the white people complaining. That was most of the stuff I saw. Uh, it's very racially divided people's thoughts on OJ going back to the trial. And for more information on this, I want you to check out, um, Made in America, the excellent ESPN documentary series. Um, and that came out last year for the 20th anniversary of the of the uh, trial. You can watch it on, actually it's on watchespn.com or ESPN.com. It was a 30 for 30 documentary. And that went into, you know, the racial upheaval of the 60s and 70s and, and the role of, uh, of race with the L.A. Police Department and with the black community going into Rodney King in the early 90s and the, and the race riots. It laid the foundation for the trial of the century and how the O.J. Simpson trial was this once-in-a-lifetime overlapping of talking about fame and fortune with sort of a Hollywood, because it was in L.A., with race relations and, and money and just like everything smashing together in this trial. And you had people politicize this trial to their own 
their own means. That's just what happened. So again, check out that five-part 30 for 30 OJ made in America. You learn about the trial, you learn about uh, Los Angeles before and afterwards, and you and you hear about uh, OJ Simpson, who's a fucking sociopath. And in my opinion, and in a civil case, murdered McCall Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman. He murdered him. Yes, he was acquitted. That doesn't mean he actually didn't do it. That just means a jury of his peers didn't convict him. And when I was uh, in high school, that's when the trial went on originally in the 90s. And this and this trial is, is what's interesting about this trial is was that this is what sort of made court TV and put it on the map. Yes, it kind of existed before that. But th- this trial and the other one, what were they, the Menendez brothers? The Menendez brothers that killed their parents and the Menendez brothers were convicted. Lyle and Eric Menendez, those two trials really was what put Core TV on the map. And now Core TV is some other fucking channel. I think it's like HLN or something. Is that what it is? HLN. I think they changed the name. Um, yeah. So, but this trial, people were obsessed with. Hell, my mom watched this trial every day. And this was broadcast live, like six hours a day, whatever it was. And uh, my mom, for some reason, she always thought that OJ was going to was always going to uh, was going to walk free. Um, I'm not sure why she thought that. She was correct. She was correct. And, and remember, there was a lot of stuff going on. This was sort of the first trial where you had really you had DNA evidence in the limelight. Where people, this is the first time a lot of people learned about DNA. There's people that were on the jury was probably learning about DNA for the first time. Blood was everywhere. It was in the sock. You know, they they found blood in his place and. DNA scattered all over the place. You had a racist cop that was involved, and that tainted, or that sort of skewered the, the jury in, into reasonable doubt. You might have had mishandling of evidence, but I mean, the majority of people nowadays, they're like, "Come on, he he fucking did it. He did it. He did it. It was so vicious. He almost decapitated, uh, decapitated Nicole Brown entirely. It was a crime of passion. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a, a drug deal gone bad. It wasn't anything like that. Um, he even did a book. If I did it, this is how I was going to do it. And again, you watch the 30 for 30. And in it, the, the, the ghostwriter said when he was listening to OJ talk about the crime, how he drove home, uh, he was not for a second did the guy helping OJ write the book think that, wow, he's making this up. He was like, oh, this is kind of creepy that he's describing it like this. But every once in a while, he would go, well, if I did it, this is what I would do. It's like, no, he he did it. He did it. He 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 wrote things in that book that you know were were you know not really well known about like certain details. Um, so and there's other little stuff too. This isn't turning into why OJ did it, but even even the the even the uh, what is it the OJ shoes that he had the brand of shoe that he had uh, you know that that was worn with with the marks. Um, were so specific. Yeah, the 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 Bruno, what were they? Bruno Magli leather dress shoes. That was like the the those shoes. They sold such a limited quantity of those. And in that size, they did not sell any and OJ owned those shoes. So like the odds that those shoes were even someone else's were just like a million to one that the killer were wearing the exact same shoes that OJ uh, own. So yeah, anyway, he fucking did it. The whole point is this. The, the the fact that from John McCain, the poor guy having a brain tumor, to someone being cast as Doctor Who, to people 
people uh, reacting to O.J. Simpson getting, getting paroled uh, for armed robbery slash kidnapping. You had people taking the route of let's not be happy for this or being sad for this. You had these you had these select group of people um, go out of their ways to say, not just am I pleased with this or or not pleased with this, but I I'm glad that other people have the opposite reaction than I do. So let's go after them and form a cocoon a cocoon of just negative energy about that. Um, I don't know. That's just fucking weird to me. I might, and that's not to say I'm not going to do that once in my life. But you know, when it's when it's literally life or death, though. Like for the Doctor Who, I guess that's one thing. Uh, I'm not bothered as by that as much. You know, if you want to say, ah, hi, whatever. But for at least for the McCain and OJ stuff, it's like you're gonna be happy that someone's getting out of prison who probably, probably fucking did it, uh, murdered people in the past, uh, you know, and beat up Nicole Brown to a pulp before that. God bless you. I don't, and you know, that's the only thing I can say. You, you really, you're not winning at life if that's where you're putting your energy is to be, you know, to, to be glad that someone like that is getting out of prison, even if you if you thought that. You know, maybe he was sent away for too long for armed robbery slash kidnapping. Listen, you know, he's this is not a good guy. This guy's a fucking uh, a sociopath, O.J. Simpson. Absolutely. Woo! Watch that 30 for 30. Holy shit, is that something else? Uh, made in America. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. So uh, what else is going on? Uh, we'll talk about healthcare stuff r- r- real quickly. I think they're going to vote on the uh, what's the new Affordable uh, Care Act. Uh, gonna, I'm repealing it. Uh, Obamacare, Affordable Care Act. I'm not a fan of that. I, I may mention that before. Uh, and, 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 and a lot of people aren't fans of it. Healthcare costs have not gone down since, since its implementation. A lot of people went to uh, Medicare. When they say, "Oh, there's a lot more people insured now," a lot more people have insurance. Yeah, because a lot of because they, they they forced a ton of people onto Medicare either early or just people that couldn't afford insurance. They said, "Okay, get on Medicare. Well, it's going to be subsidized." I'm fucked with the system because I'm a young, healthy person. So odds are I will never use the insurance. And yes, I know that's why it's insurance, but my rates are sky high on it, and I'm in California, so. Unlike other states where they're a lot smaller, I have friends, and this isn't a liberal, conservative issue. This is just this is the reality. If you don't have a lot of a lot of uh, insurers on the quote unquote exchange, people like me, who are yes, I am in the in the minority. People that go on the exchange that either work for themselves or have companies that aren't providing the healthcare coverage options. We are we are more screwed because we have to go on the healthcare and we have limited options. So there's, there was one reasonable plan in California. And again, California is the biggest state. We had the most choice. There was one plan I saw that was under like $500 a month that didn't have a deductible that was insane. So deductible is, what's a deductible? Well, the deductible is this. Deductible is the minimum amount you have to pay for health care coverage in the year before everything 100% is paid by the insurance company. So for example, if you have a $5,000 deductible, that means that besides like the you know the the standard like well you know you get your one or two uh, doctor visits a year if I get like uh, I don't know an MRI um, it's not all covered I, I I may have to pay twenty percent of that and then um, so that goes towards the five thousand I have to pay overall so basically I'm guaranteed to pay 
If, say, say my health care costs are $20,000 for a year. If my deductible is $5,000, uh, I'm paying $5,000 first before the rest is going to be covered. That's a sh- that's shitty, right? That's kind of shitty. So that means that I'm not only paying hundreds of dollars a month, and for my visits, I'm paying a copay, but that means I'm guaranteed to be paying, you know, thousands of dollars. So I found one plan that was four hundred dollars a month with no deductible. Otherwise, I was paying like three hundred dollars a month with like a three thousand dollar deductible. So for that extra twelve hundred dollars, I'm guaranteed that if I fucking break my leg or get cancer, I won't be paying, you know, $5,000 first, or, or, or more, or $10,000 first, that I'll be paying zero, zero besides whatever the hell my copay is. You know, so that's good. The whole point is this, in other states, you don't have that sort of um, leeway or option. If you have one or two plans to choose from, if you're self-employed, you have one or two plans to choose from, you're kind of fucked. Otherwise, you pay the tax. And Obamacare slash the Affordable Care Act, whatever you want to call it, it is a tax. That's the only reason it still exists as law, because the Supreme Court says the feds had the power to levy taxes across all states. So this is a tax, and this is why it's not being struck down. Surprise, surprise. And that was a, now as a Republican, uh, <laughs> that was a conservative uh, chief justice that said that too. So there, this is the law of the land. So whatever the hell replaces... The Affordable Care Act. Whatever the hell is going to replace it, it's not going to cause it's not going to stop rising health care costs. We're going to be in trouble. We're going to be in trouble. Not to get into it for a long time. We're going to be in trouble because we are an unhealthy population overall. That's just the way it is. We are. We are uh, not a homogenous population. We're a heterogeneous population. We have fifty states that are kind of mini countries in and of themselves. Different geographically, different, different um, ethnically, just different makeups overall. We have some states that are healthier than other states. We have some states that are quote unquote, you know, the most unhealthy or fattest states. They always have those polls like, "What's the fattest state in the U.S.?" You know, Louisiana uh, wins sometimes, for example. So that, so of course, healthcare costs are going to be wildly different state to state. So unless you really change the entire system. Unless you want to go public option, single payer, uh, you know, healthcare for all, I'm willing to have that conversation. I am willing to have the conversation. If you can work it out with me to think that it's not going to cost a shit ton of money because our population is just uh, wholly unhealthy. And that starts with children. I mean, children are more unhealthy than they've ever been before. That leads to adulthood. That leads to more problems. You know, uh, when you have a lot of people that are dying... Uh, because of heart disease, strokes, preventable cancers. Uh, 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 when you have people that we have, an, like for example, we have an opiate addiction in this uh, epidemic in this country, painkiller uh, epidemic of painkiller. Uh, p- people that are addicted to painkillers, drugs, and alcohol. These are all, quote unquote. Um, I would hate to say optional healthcare costs, but they're preventable diseases and preventable issues in general. Yes, you're going to say, hey, Pat, my, my uncle got lung cancer. He didn't smoke. Yes, but 90% of people will get lung cancer smoke. These are preventable outcomes. Uh, if we can get to a point where we minimize the prevalence of these conditions, lessen the amount of people that are dying because of preventable diseases, by default, insurance will go down because by default, healthcare costs will go down. If we were just healthier in general, I mean, and of course this is pie in the sky, 
this is a this is a whole uh, cultural change that has to happen. But if we eat better, we look after ourselves better. We don't just throw tons of prescription drugs on our body as our first choice. Instead, I don't know. We we go outside a little bit. We we go for a walk every now and then. Maybe we try to get on a reasonable exercise plan. I don't have to say you have to go work out two hours a day, but you know, work out for a half hour, three times a week. That's all. That's all I'm asking. You know, that's all I'm asking. Some people do. Why not? That's not. That's not terrible, right? You know, just you know, go to the flea market, walk around. There you go. There's a half hour right there. If we try to promote that, if we focus on wellness and and sort of a holistic view of the body and mind and and body well being at the same time. Look at the foods we eat. And I'm not saying I'm an angel. I love chocolate. I love my carbs too. But I'm just saying just try. If we try as a society, I think overall we will be in a much better state. We'll be in a state of looking at over time, health care costs will naturally go down. So unless we have that conversation, I don't think it's really going to matter what sort of health care plan or system we have. I, I think costs will continue to rise. I just think that's just the way it is. Unless you get to the point where you want to take on the insurance companies head-on directly and say, you know what, fuck you guys, we don't need you, um, we're going to cut out the middleman, and then we'll have the doctors and hospitals charged directly, and we're going to help subsidize directly instead of having these you know, insurance companies involved and cut out profits. You want to you have that conversation with me too? Um, that could be something to look into as well. But then you'd be talking about taking on an entire industry. And we know with lobbyists and the way our government works and, and money in politics, that's not an easy sort of battle that would be waged. That's almost like saying, that's almost like taking on the oil companies and sort of forcing them to go to alternative energy. Yeah, you can do it. That ain't going to be easy. You know, that, that's not going to be easy at all. So that's, that's my sort of argument with that. We're not, we're not Europe. We're not certain countries that have 3 million people or 4 million people that are a lot healthier we can't just say, oh, it works in Sweden or it works in this country. We're not those countries. I'm so, we're not. We're unhealthy. We have, it's, it's a lot harder to scale up any system, let alone our, uh, a complicated health care system from 5 million people or even 20 million up to 300, you know, 350 million. It's not the same thing. It's not the same system. Uh, it, it can't happen. We can't even manage the, the VA hospitals well. And that's for a limited number of people. Our veterans, those are a fucking disaster. So if that was running smoothly, I'd be open to the conversation at this point. I'm saying, oh, well, see, that's a good example. We're running the VA properly, so let's run you know, public health care for all. We're not there yet. I'm not saying we can't get there, but the way we're living right now, I don't see it happening. I just don't. So as I go to eat my brownie at midnight when I'm recording this, just try to cut back a little bit. It's all I'm asking. Try to get some sun on your face. All right? We either revamp the system entirely, go after insurance companies and, and even pharma companies even directly. No more, you know, non-big contracts for Medicaid and, and the pharmaceutical companies saying, okay, we're going to charge you wherever we want for all the Medicaid. No, 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 that's bullshit too. We have to have competition between the pharmaceutical companies themselves to bring the generic drug cost down and everything else. We got to we got to work on all at the same time. And hell, Bernie Sanders was for that. Bernie Sanders, you know, some things he say I, I might not agree with. Like, okay, let's let's have free college for all. Hey, Bernie, how are you going to pay that? I don't know, but let's do it. So I may not agree with him there, 
But for something like, yeah, we shouldn't have uh, no-bid contracts for pharmaceuticals for, for everyone on, on Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, yeah, oh, I agree with him there. That's just common sense. So, Bernie, I agree with you there. Not on uh, free college for all without having a way to pay for it. I don't agree with you there. we got to figure that one out, buddy. But uh, at least your heart's in the right place on <laughs> some of these issues. All right, so wellness, that'll bring down health care costs. Uh, and by the way, how about a bill? Can we have a fucking bill? And I'll tell you what. Can we have a bill that isn't partially written by the pharmaceutical companies and by the by the insurance companies like, like Obamacare was? Trump care, Obamacare, bottom line is if the health insurance companies are helping to write them, if they have profit margins baked into these fucking bills, they don't benefit the American people overall. And that's not a communist thing to say. That's not a socialist thing to say. That's just a common sense thing to say. Okay? You with me there? All right? Am I confusing you? You think I'm a, I'm a bleeding heart liberal? You think I'm a, a cold-hearted conservative? No! I'm neither. I don't think I'm neither. Am I? I don't know. We'll figure this shit out. We will. I hope we can agree on, like, sort of a, a core basic principle here that we have to bring these costs down somehow. We just sort of disagree, I think, on how we're, how we're doing it right now. And what we're doing ain't working. Because even if you like Obamacare, and some of you out there might do, costs are still rising. And they're going to continue to rise. And with Trump Care, according to the CBO, Congressional Budget Office, they're going to rise even more. So there you go. I don't have a solution in, in front of me right now, but I have an idea of what could work. But it might be a lot harder to get there. All right. I'm running for Congress next year. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. But who knows? I might get bored in my 40s and do that. So this has been a Not So Common Podcast. Um, check me out on Stitcher and iTunes and Podbean and on the YouTubes. Uh, if you want to subscribe to it, please do so. Leave a comment. You can rate the podcast. It helps me out there. And sp- spread the love on social media. Be like, hey, this idiot Pat has no idea what he's talking about when it comes to OJ, Doctor Who, or healthcare. No fucking clue. But you know what? Give it a listen. If you want to shoot me an email, it's podcast at thepunkeffect.com. Send me a tweet, hashtag not so common. Or if you want to help me uh, directly, Help me eat help me eat those brownies so that my healthcare costs never go down. It's patreon.com slash patcountry. Thanks. Next time I'll have a guest so you won't hear me ramble about how uh, ungrateful I am that I've attended Comic-Con for 10 straight years. Because who needs that, right? All right. John McCain, here's to you uh, recovering fully. OJ Simpson, here's to you getting hit by a car when you step out. A prison on parole. I don't. Hey, come on, OJ. You made me laugh in those naked gun movies. But yeah, you kind you kind of did kill kill two people. You kind of did do that. All right. I'll see you next time.